Are you interested in improving your procurement and negotiation skills and understanding? Well, this is the podcast for you. The Procurement Podcast with Andy and Christoph. Welcome to another episode of the Procurement Podcast. Uh, this week with Andy Frank and myself, Christophe Bayavarju, we have Rob Housels, um, ex-CPO of Westpac New Zealand, now Managing Director of um, the Executive uh, Athlete. Andy? Good morning, Christoph. How are you? I'm very good. Are you ready getting for those holidays coming up soon? Or? It's never a holiday in procurement. You know that. We're always oh, trying. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure is already on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the, uh, to morning, the podcast. Andy. Morning, Christoph. Nice to be here. Oh, you're welcome. Um, Rob, uh, sorry, Andy, you want to ask the, uh, the hard question, the usual hard question to yeah, start with? You yeah, know, it's a it's it's very pretty... simple answer to it. So what is procurement? Oh, start, <laughs> starting right in there. Um, very deep. Oh, look, I think the standard definition would probably be the ethical acquisition of products and services to help or enable organizations to deliver on their strategic goals, I guess. But I, in my mind, it's much broader and deeper than that in terms of all of the other components within procurement. I think it's very um, notable that you know, one of the first things to say, the ethical, because mm. you know, it's one of the things we sort of touch on in the podcast is the, the relative ethics of, of how we go about procurement. And a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about the Modern Slavery Act and, and how important that is to understand that through the, the whole procure, uh, procurement uh, supply chain. And it, it's you know, fascinating. And, and I think you know, there's, a, there's a bigger sort of podca- uh, podcast or discussion to be had about, a, about ethics and, and what should and shouldn't do. But um, perhaps it might be quite useful if you could just give us a little Sort of potted history of of your sort of procurement. How oh, did yeah. you fa- did you fall into it uh, by mistake, or was it just funny, a plan kind of thing? It's a, it's I like I think falling into procurement and seat at the table are two phrases for me that I always find quite interesting. No, I didn't fall into it. I I I had a third year at my undergrad where I had to find a job in industry, and I I applied for a job at Volvo Truck and Bus in the UK, and um, so I got to work on prototype. Buses, <clears throat> excuse me, so buying everything from fuel tanks to brakes to gearboxes and then working with engineers, and production guys to actually build buses and drive them around a, a test track with no bodies on them actually at yeah. the time and then buy the bodywork afterwards. So yeah, so that was my first exposure, I guess I was probably 20 and in my third year of a four-year four degree. I think yeah, that's, you know, so I'm, I'm obviously a little bit older than you, quite a bit, I would imagine. But I think it's one of those things that certainly my careers officer and never said, hey, <laughs> I know what's good for you, Andy. You want to go straight into procurement because in certainly in, in those days, in the you know, uh, late 70s, early 80s, that wasn't a, yeah, wasn't a thing. Um, and then it became far more of a specialised uh, and recognised resource that, you know, Progressive businesses need to be able to sort of separate out, and some of it came from being driven by the by the ethical aspects of of business as it certainly as it was. Um, and I worked, you know, as we touched on prior to the podcast, I worked in the print for a while, um, and there was um, some colourful approaches to to how to buy uh, in those days <laughs> and how to sell. But I think it's it's very telling, and now we've we've seen such an escalation of where the procurement has grown in terms of its importance to organisations and in terms of a, a potential career path for, 
you know, for so many people across the, across the globe. Absolutely. I might jump, jump in quickly because I'm hearing things that you're probably not hearing. And for the listeners, if you hear rumbling, it's not Andy getting hungry. <laughs> we are sitting at the Work Inc. offices, uh, temporary um, uh, workspace, uh, which is sitting right under the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So if you hear some vibration, some sound, that's where it's coming from. We have a train running over our heads every that's, couple of minutes. That's the yeah, train out, out from North Sydney going out to Chatswood, so it's all <laughs> good. <Right. laughs> it's very industrial and very cool here. <laughs> Um, maybe just my, my background, just going back to that yeah. question, uh, apart from, I guess, you know, having some experience then being able to apply for jobs. But I agree with what you said, Andy, in terms of it not being a kind of recognized career choice. It was definitely purchasing when I yeah. started. Um, you know, when I started as a buyer in automotive and then kind of progressed through senior buyer, supply chain manager. So I worked in manufacturing for 11 years telco for six of those, aerospace for a couple. I worked in chemical distribution for a couple, really in my 20s and getting up to kind of early 30s before, you know, um, then coming to Australia and realizing that those industries didn't exist really, yeah. or they were phasing out. And um, so flipping, then having to flip into tertiary, which I worked in for five years before the last nine years I've been, in, been in, in banking and financial services. So I think that in itself shows the, um, the adaptability and the, the, um, the kind of skills that you can apply and transfer across multiple industry verticals. Yeah. I would never feel being in a procurement role that you have to be pigeonholed or, Absolutely. or yeah. you know, being told that you can only be successful in procurement in a particular yeah. industry. Yeah, I think that the, the transferable nature of, of procurement is is one of the things that makes it so exciting. So you can be, you know, whether it's you know working in, in petrochemicals or whether it's working finance, whether it's working in rocket science or even train <laughs> in transport. Um, it's I think that's one of the things that starts to become a far more appealing uh, job to and career for for a lot of people, um, and you know. The, the range of people we're starting to talk to on the podcast sort of reflects that. Mm -hmm. And quite a few have gone, well, I started out here yeah. and I, then I moved over to, over to here and, you know, you're moving into, you know, whether it's from you know, magazines and newspapers to sunglasses to, yeah. to you know, satellite dishes or whatever it might yeah. be. There's, there's a lot going obviously, on. with so many years in procurement, there is, procurement is a very broad topic. Um, what aspect of, of procurement did you have a natural tendency to, to be more attracted to. I mean, this, this could be, you know, the, the contract, the tendering, the negotiation, it could be the people side, you know, there's, there's obviously a broad range. And after so many years of doing this, it's, there's some things that you like, something that you may not like so much and something you really don't want to do. What was your transition from the early days to up until, up until today? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, for me, I think it depends on where you're at in, in the phase of your career as well. You know, when I, when I was younger, it was just about getting exposure and experience and, and running as many kind of tenders across, you know, a variety of, uh, of products and services. So it was very much just getting, getting the scar tissue and being able to run a process and engage with stakeholders and and try and fake it until you make it a bit. Yeah. When you're younger, definitely, I think you have to. You have so some of that's relying on your own your own personal instincts and your, and your own ability to to build rapport with others and and connect. But 
so I think first 10 years was all about that. For me, then it was about, you know, how do, how do you become a bit more creative and strategic in the roles that you can take? So definitely, depending on where you're at and what responsibilities you have, whether it's leadership or as an individual contributor, I think you, you're, you're put into positions where you have to kind of, um, you have to adapt and, and kind of, you know, get a bit more creative or or specialised potentially. So for me, in more recent terms, it's definitely been the last dozen years. It's been about working with other people and helping them develop and helping them create their own kind of um, influence and, and, and create their own kind of habits that will allow them to be successful. So that's where I've personally got the most um, fulfilment as well as achieving outcomes and, you know, collective outcomes for whatever organization you're work, working for and learning as you do that. But definitely it's about working with other people and also kind of demystifying procurement for for the people internally, but also with your external business partners. It's, you know, it's ultimately it's a commercial role with relationship attributes and I think if you can if you can focus the right amount of effort on the commerciality of what you do as well as the creativity and and the the relationship management then I think you know you're probably going to be relatively successful and, and when you look at the people's side of, of of procurement and your role you obviously you have a team but you also have people you need to report to um, what were some of the uh, the challenges? You know, was it more getting people to get them on a journey and 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 share your vision, or was it to to tell to the executive, look, I think we should do that, and selling the vision to them? Uh, again, great question. I think it's all of those. I think um, usually the, the last, certainly the last fourteen years of my career, it's all been either a dysfunctional uh, situation that you find yourself in, where potentially procurement isn't performing or hasn't delivered the outcomes that it was expected to deliver or there's just a real lack of understanding of what value it can deliver what is that value creation whether it's you know it's not just one dimensional it's certainly not just cost out or it can be you know and it's certainly not just risk management you know it's everything from process efficiencies to relationship management to innovation to access to resource to you know, to actual revenue generation as well. It's certainly um, the value, you should never be limited. And so I think in answering your question, it's I find myself in these kind of either damaged environments mm. or greenfield environments where there's a real opportunity to build procurement from the bottom up. Um, it may have been a purchasing function or um, it may have been something that's being done part-time by others. And you've got an opportunity to really develop the function or it may have been just sourcing focused and predominantly sourcing so just engaging the market but not actually creating that that broader business value that end-to-end -end value proposition for procurement which i think is super important you have to either brand it appropriately as well as getting the right capability and the right buy-in with your stakeholders and the capability in your team but you also have to kind of sell a bit ahead of the curve, I think, with procurement. You should never be afraid, in my opinion, to to talk about the broader commercial value that procurement can add. So I find myself doing both of what you've described, you know, um, having to sell and influence and manage upwards, um, but also having to, to build from the bottom up and create a culture, because as we know, culture doesn't come through the air conditioning. 
something that you have to focus on. Never and, heard that um, expression before. That's <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. But you know, you have to, in my <laughs> yeah, opinion, yeah. you have to focus just as much on that cause to get that engagement and, and the empowerment with your team. Um, I think there's a number of points that you raise which are incredibly valid, but it, it's intriguing that when you go into a business where perhaps procurement hasn't delivered on uh, on the expectation, um, sometimes the expectation is so profoundly unrealistic that it, it, it almost <laughs> you go in, it's a poison chalice, and you think, well, I'll be here for a year yeah. because <laughs> because what they're expecting is is not deliverable, um, and and it is one of the challenges that we all face in procurement, particularly whether it's greenfield is interesting because it depends how early in the greenfield stage you get there, because you can if you can help set the parameters of course you can you know we're all going to be challenged on oh come on yeah come on rob you can you can get more out of this mm. yes that's you know we can we can buy you know you can we can save any amount of money within the budget is what don't you want mm. to have yes, in yeah. the future and what do you need to have and i think the the fascinating piece is about that managing up and and going in and saying the reason your procurement function hasn't delivered all the expectations is because your expectations were so fundamentally unrealistic but that's a that could be a very career limiting conversation you, you can't do that in your in your opening interview go <laughs> see yeah i know you said you were you expecting to save 20 percent off everything but that's just not going to happen or it can do but your quality is going to suffer or it can do or the environmental position is going to suffer or modern slavery will you know will be you know, there'll be some jeopardy in, within that approach but it yeah it's it's an intriguing that first setup position that, that we take is one of those things that I find fascinating about who in an organization really gets what procurement's for and, and still a number of significant businesses don't really have a pure procurement function it's always been done by particularly in many cases it's the owner manager mm. where they, they say well I've, I've always I've done all the deals I you know I know exactly you know these you know, whether it's property or whatever I know exactly what I'm looking for mm. and then now you're getting a new procurement person in they're going to be you know saving vast amounts of money surely mm. well that might not be possible mm. but as you say the, the broader commercial opportunity that that procurement brings is is the really exciting piece um, and it's also that you know it's about i think saying about the culture of a business you can reset a business culture in the terms of the way you deal with suppliers with vendors with you know whoever's in the in your supply chain you can significantly change it and that's i, th I find that really exciting because that's the that's the people bit which is I agree you know, which is really um, promising but it touches on for me it's turning apathy into empathy right yeah you, usually when you you find yourself in a in a role that um, you know needs significant change or transformation then you, you're inevitably having to change people's attitudes towards procurement yeah. um, so you you're, you're definitely trying to flip the apathy to empathy that's yeah. uh, something that I've regularly kind of spoken about with teams you know what are the three things the, the top three things we can do to to, to flip that yeah. um and what would it take where are we today where do we need to get to you know but i think your point is you're right you can't necessarily do that in an interview scenario but 
and I think the more experience you get and the more responsibility you get, you can definitely do that in your first 90 to 100 days in terms of when you, if, you, if you're taking the time to review a function, yeah. understand the strengths and weaknesses or the opportunities and challenges and, and then position it appropriately. But again, that requires yeah. you know, a bit of art and a bit of science yeah. and being able to tell a narrative um, appropriately within the organisational context so that you can get buy-in. Yeah. I think that's, as I've got older and, and kind of got a bit more experience in scar tissue, it's definitely been able to, to, to present the narrative um, uh, yeah. to, that, and understand how to influence because, uh, you know, the people that you're talking to have different preferences in terms of how they receive information, in terms of um, their attention span yeah. or their ability to engage. So you have to be able to flip and, and, and you have to be critical thinking is a big part of that and being able to adapt and act on your feet, really. And, and those are human only traits yeah. um, that, that you, you know, that you can develop. They're not, they're not enabled necessarily by machine learning or yeah. digital, you know, data visualization. It's human only traits. Yeah. So I think they're becoming even even more important in procurement. Yeah, there's not a manual that sort of says, and, and this is how you, you strike up rapport and empathy. It's a page, hang on, page 22 says, yeah, yeah. That's right. and, and it, it's, it's, it's the language that we use and, and, and the signals that we give to, to enable people to go, oh, I get it. And there's some of the, some of the bosses, you know, that, you know, some only have time for the elevator pitch in a board meeting, you that's know, right. it, so, and it, you know, some, you know, whether if you're going to do a presentation, you know, if you've got X number of PowerPoint slides, <laughs> death by PowerPoint. <laughs> but is, is, do you give the number on the last slide or on the first slide or somewhere in the middle? That's right. Uh, and or have you already had that conversation? And and then so you know that the figure's right. They know the figure's right. That's right. Everybody's happy. Uh, and then the great the grand reveal is going. Do you know what I'd really like to save on this project? Five million dollars. Yeah. Guess what? We're going to save five and a half. How good is that? But I think that's a great point you've made around. You know, that's a pitch, right? It's it's a skill in itself, but also how much you do outside the room. Yeah. You know, it's you can't just wait until you're in the room and have a have a you know an agenda item on a on a board meeting or on an executive team meeting agenda. You have to have done that kind of uh, influencing, pre understanding, pre work outside the room, so that your kind of probability of success is hopefully higher by the time you get into the room, yeah. yeah, rather than, there'll always be people that you don't get to speak to before you get in the room, yeah. you know, um, executive teams are, you know, busy people and there's a, a variety of roles, but if you can at least get through, you know, in my mind, 50% of those individuals who are the real decision makers before you get into the room then, Hopefully you've done enough to influence the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully you don't get stuck, sorry Christoph, you don't get sort of stuck in that whirlpool of, well, is that a strategy or is that tactics? Mm. It's, <laughs> it, it's semantics. It, you know, this is, you know, you've, you've won, you've, you know, you've convinced the, the key influencers already. It, it, if you can do that, then that's a great position to be in. Because Absolutely. then there'll be one or two rogue outliers who might, might throw in something fantastic. You go, do you know what? Actually, that's a brilliant idea. We'd need to incorporate that. And if you do that, then we go, oh, they're open to an idea. But it's even better if you know that that brilliant idea is coming towards you beforehand. Correct. So, so you can then go, I like that. That's great. You know, or, or prime somebody to say. And that's mirroring behaviour as well, right? So there's there's subtleties in that where you can mirror people's <laughs> behaviour and create create more rapport and create more connectivity with the people that you're speaking to. So there's a bit of science behind that as well. But I also feel a lot of it's 
kind of street smarts. Yeah. yeah. You'd probably agree with that. Yeah. It's interesting because you look at, you know, as a procurement professional, you look at procurement through different mirrors, different prisms, and there's so much you can do. And then because you're an expert at it, the next phase is to sell that idea to someone, whether it's your team or the executive. And that's where the frustration begins if you're unable to articulate and 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 sell the benefits of what you, you believe is needs to be done versus the agenda of the executive have may have a very, you know, different view of what you have and it's interesting that you know through your career rob you you've gone from you know the technical procurement side of things to being more inclined or more attracted to the people side to help people make the best possible um, uh, decision possible is that why you founded the executive coaching the executive athlete sorry Thank you. That's because a great, because great it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just yeah. trying. <laughs> no. It doesn't say pro- executive procurement or no, anything. It's not, it's no. you. It's it's much more. It's much bigger. It's procurement, but it's much more. Uh, it's much bigger than procurement. Yeah, I think there's a commercial advisory and kind of strategy um, vertical in the business. So you know, it'd be probably silly to to walk away from that experience and not be able to leverage it. So I really enjoy that side of it, sort of creative strategy development, working with others around what that commercial operating model strategy could look like. Um, and some of the skills that you need for that as well. And then the other the other components of the of the executive athlete are really around kind of talent profiling, so behavioral profiling and leadership coaching. Um, so you know, one of the things that I that I kind of uh, invested in, in in the last six years is is you know becoming certified in in different behavioural profiling tools and and more recently neuroleadership, which is understanding the kind of brain body connection and, and how to optimise your your performance by understanding how the brain That's works. Getting very technical, it's, it's yeah. Feels like that, but again, I would say it's the same as yeah. when you try and explain procurement to someone. It's not that technical. It's we've got the we've got the technology now to understand how how your brain uh, functions and how it can function more optimally if uh, depending on your behaviours and what your your self leadership habits are and your daily routines are to really optimise your own kind of um, balance, whether that's work life balance, whether that's just balance in general, and get the best out of your performance and and get the best out of your imagination, get the best out of your creativity, whatever that may be, um, it's becoming more and more um, understood. I mean, you just got to look at your Fitbits, you can look at your your, your your Apple Watches, whatever it may be, you're, you're tracking your body's behaviours or your body's performance and you've been able to create actionable insights from that. It's it's not dissimilar to that. But then, the, sorry, Andy, you talk at the individual level, then things become interesting when you start involving a number of individuals that may behave differently in the presence of other individual. Mm. So some people may want to, you know, may behave even in a more productive way in the presence of other that lift them up. Mm. Or it could be vice versa where the person is just shutting down. Uh, have you experienced some of those situations? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think dif- different people, different strokes for different folks, right? People are people are uh, more comfortable in certain situations. But I think it's that, you know, that it's not new new theory. I mean, you just got to look at the Jahari window as an example. And, and, 
your perception of yourself versus other people's perception of you. It's always useful to check in on that and understand where you have opportunities for development or improvement if you're that way inclined. Obviously, um, we're living in challenging times where there's a lot of volatility and uncertainty and change is exponential. So um, there's certainly more pressure being applied to commercial roles and more expectations. And, you know, I'm a big believer of, you know, optimizing organizational talent, culture, and ultimately performance is, is also more critical now than it's ever been. So I think if you can invest in that beyond just, um, you know, running a, a 180 or a 360 yeah. and, and getting some results at the end, but not having a, a pathway for improvement, you really need to to understand what those habits are that you can create. Yes, yeah. And so the executive athlete, it, it touches on that and, and there's coaching and high performance outcomes that, that, um, so that we're looking what, at. So what is it, what are the services that uh, that you offer at the executive? Uh, well, there's, there's leadership um, development, training, coaching. Uh, again, some of, the, some of the certifications that I've invested in are, there's a fantastic one, um, a lady called Sylvia Damiano, who developed um, neuroleadership I4 methodology, which is, which is, and she's created the About My Brain Institute. And that's all about um, moving from a kind of industrial age leader to uh, an information age leader or imagination age leader. So the, th the three stages of leadership from, and what are the attributes that you need to develop and, and how can you focus on um, those attributes to really improve your performance, but also improve how you collaborate, improve how you, you use innovation, agility, balance. Um, so those, those things really interested me. And, you know, like yourselves, when you've worked in a corporate environment, typically you get exposed to LSIs, Myers-Briggs, HBDI, 180s, 360s, Corn Ferry, whatever it may be is the flavor of the month. You typically, you get exposed to that on an annual basis. But for me, it's always been, well, where to beyond that? You know, how, how can you take something and practically apply it rather than just scoring yourself against a global benchmark? Yes. And that's where, you know, I've tried to tried to further invest my understanding of what makes people tick and how do you actually get them to perform at their optimal level. And that requires kind of both personal and professional daily routines to create physical and mental agility, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I love all this stuff. I'm, I just I think it's essential. And it, I find it's, it's, it's that almost personal and professional exhilaration when you think, actually, there's an opportunity here, constant, you know, opportunity. And it's a... It's not about plowing the same furrow, and it, it's interesting to talk about the the neuro leadership piece about the three different a you know was it was industrial information, information and, and imagination, imagination, which uh, yeah that's yeah again that's automatic trigger something called uh, yeah mm. that's that and we, right. we don't uh, organization don't spend a lot of time training on those skills they they spend more time training on the tactical skills on how to perform. A task as opposed to investing and into the so yeah. there's definitely a niche market here, Rob. I think. Uh, well, in, I think uh, and, something here. I think it's ahead of the curve. I think yeah. it is definitely ahead of the curve, and it's the sort of thing where businesses, you say, whether it's Myers Briggs or whatever, the you know 360, and people sort of you know they define. You know, I was in an organisation where you define yourself. You know, mm -hmm. you know by you know, I can't remember which particular one we were doing, but it was. Uh, it was around what you was, you became a certain color. Yes. So, you know, so oh, you you're obviously yellow. 
Now, yes. you're obviously agreeing. Yes. You must be. I'm wrecked, obviously, because <laughs> I'm leading the conversation. And then, and then it became a, a thing where people would go, yeah, I, I, well, I used to be yellow, but I really want to be red because yeah. red is, is that the prevailing colour that the business wants to see progress? And where you go, no, we just want really good people to do a really good job and enjoy working with each other and giving great outcomes and developing. Mm. It's it's a people thing. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, we touched on this before the podcast. I think we should always record all the pre-podcast stuff because it's that thing about what skills, you know, neuroleadership or the understanding, you know, modern psychology you know the additional strands of 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 information that come in you know that aid you and, mm. and give you is that you know whether it's sportsmen you know sports you know you can be a really good football player for example when you're a kid you kick a ball in the street and then you and you're the best in the street and then you go and join a team and you find you're not the best in the team because you've got to learn to pass to each other oh passing is good then you become the better player and then your career, you know, say your career you know, migrates through the divisions and you're playing, you know, premiership football or whatever, A-League football, whichever it might be. Um, and you've developed words, and then you suddenly go, oh, yeah, maybe if I ate better <laughs> and maybe if I slept more That's and exactly I stopped right. drinking and or, you know, or I regulated what I do, and maybe if I took up... Um, Pilates or yoga or something, and you you know you and you've seen it. Some some of the players you think they were just hard grafters all the way through their yes. career who became brilliant. That's right. And it's you know it's like the, it was it was the old the old adage of the Gary Player one is it is funny how the more practice the, the better I get. That's right. The luckier I get. So the luckier I get. Yeah. yeah. But it it's it. But he was also, you know, he was keeping himself fit. He was. He know, was. He was training his mind as well as his body. And all, uh, and this is stuff that we, you know, we can all access. Absolutely. But we don't always know how to. And so something like what your, you know, yeah. your your business is, is you know, and it, it does directly relate to procurement because procurement, yeah. if you've got these additional skills, just think if you know, if you've got the confidence to go into a meeting. And it can be a quite a difficult meeting. You're going into a supplier, you're going to give them bad news. That's right. Might be not that, A, you're not going to give them the work at all. B, you're, you're going to give them the work, but not as much as they expected. Certainly not the price they're asking, because that's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> but then you can, but then you understand enough about them and yourself, where that you can say, but in a year's time, we, you know, we will commit to working like this. You, if you can finesse your business to work yeah. like that, not to the detriment of all your other clients, because you, yeah. you start to then great things can happen because you've, you've but I think we sort of assume it's all oh, it's not really procurement's right to you know yeah. to better ourselves we, we, we can better ourselves in a purely practical correct I know how or to a technical, technical way yeah, yeah. to your got, point I've got, my, I've got my accreditation yes but actually it's it's the sort of skills and development that we can personally you know say it's the stuff that's not in the, the notepad it's that's this, right. It's this stuff. It's, it's different because you know on the technical side of things, you learn how to do a task or an activity, and bang, you know how to do it. Correct. Cut the paper clip. You know, use the scissor to cut the paper this way. But in in the case of people ongoing development, you don't try to run a marathon after one day of training. You need that's to right. apply yourself for a period of time, and when you apply yourself for a period of time, you discover gaps into your own 
mental state, the emotional state, and performance. That might trigger a different period of time based on different situations, based on different interaction. Mm. And so it's not a, an overnight fix. It's not a one-week training. It's, it's an right. ongoing development. It's putting the water onto the seed and watch the seed grow and then into a branch, into a tree. Correct. Do you find that organizations are willing to invest in, I guess that's the key question, from, yes. from, a, from a budgeting perspective, say, I'll, I'll teach you those skills, bang, you know how to yeah. do those skills. In your case, it's a long-term development. And mm. if you're going to spend the money, you want to make sure that those mm. employees and this staff and this team is going to stick around long enough. Mm. And now we live in, in a world where you don't stay in the same job for the next 30 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. People and why, move. And also, why would you want to? Because yeah. it used to be the thing where you think, oh, I've got security, I've got a job for life. That's so right. yeah. what, what is the compelling for reason for, for, for companies to invest into something in their employees that might take 12, 18 months, two years to develop, not knowing that employee is going to stick around? That's a great point, and, I, and I, I think there's a couple of things you touched on. For me, working with high-performing teams, if if the definition of kind of high performance is is doing something consistently well over a, a longer period of time, and maybe going above the norms and performing above normal, um, well, I do think that the life cycle of a high-performing team has got shorter. You know, maybe ten years ago, you, you'd be probably fortunate to get out of you know, 80 to 90% of your team stick around for you know, three to five years. I think you know, that life cycle, that, that ability to, to, to be high performing and maintain those skills and, that, and those capability without encouraging those people to move on, sometimes you have to encourage people to move on to get better. Um, I think that lifespan has come down. It's more like two to three years. And then if we look at how organizations typically measure performance, it's 12 month cycle. Mm or it's a 90-day cycle, or it's a 30-day cycle. So they're almost kind of opposing, you know, if you're trying to develop long-term, consistent, sustainable behavior and performance, well, you have to invest a bit. And I do think, to answer your other question, I think there's lots of organizations that spend lots of money on learning and development, absolutely. But we're starting to see trends now. We're seeing resilience training, you know, how do you train resilience? Well, you, you kind of need to know what resilience isn't and, 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 you know, the effect of dopamine and serotonin and uh, oxytocin and all, all these kind of chemicals in your system. Um, and how do you create resiliency? Well, there's, there's behaviors with that as well, but there's also your brain-body um, connection. And it's no different, I think, with high performance, but I'm, I've always found myself drawn towards quotes, and I'm sure you guys are the same. And um, you know, if you look at Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson talking about creativity is, is as important in education as literacy. Yeah. And it should, be, it should be treated accordingly with the same status. And he's, been, he's been talking about that for, for years, well over a decade. If you look at, um, there's a futurist called Alvin Toffler who, who said that the, the illiterate of the 21st century are not those who can't read or write, but those who can't learn, uh, sorry, learn, unlearn and relearn mm -hmm. so it's about adaptability yeah. right it's about being able to yeah if you did it one way in the past okay can you change those conditioned behaviors to get better or to adapt or 
And that's what I'm curious about, you know. Um, that, and I think that what, curious is exactly the right word. It's the curiosity about learning what, you know, I can you know, be like this or develop this. And it, it is, and it's exactly as you say, so, you know, th- there's some people like Sir Ken where you think these people are, are driving the debate. Now, whether, you know, the, the fascinating thing is you see at the very highest levels of organisations, it's not necessarily the most creative person who, who rises to the top, and you, you, it's almost you know, like we were said. You know, there's, there's quite a preponderance of, of you know, sociopathic, narcissistic leaders, and, and we're seeing that potentially more in a in a political context. But we so we also see that within organisations, and it's it, coming back to that. You know, high performing teams. I mean. If you take the sporting model, you know, take a club like Barcelona. Barcelona have been at the top of the game for okay, the last fifteen years, for example. Um, most probably, all you know, Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson. These, you know, but Ferguson was there twenty six years. Mm. It wasn't the same team for twenty six years. You know, the only constant happened to be Sir Alex Ferguson, yeah. but the methodology was. Same until it wasn't, until it changed, until it, you know, so it's that great that, point. Yeah. It's, it's evolution that, of yeah. performance as well, right? It yeah. doesn't, it's not static. Yeah. It's a fluid thing. And you can't deliver different outcomes necessarily by doing the same thing that you've always done. So you have to be able to, you know, there's a great book called uh, Flip the Pareto, which um, I, I believe attitude and aptitude are very important, but working smarter is also important. And there's a there's a, a book called Flip the Pareto, which talks about, which is relevant if we talk about Pareto within procurement, 80% of your work output or your performance outcomes comes from 20% of your work effort. Um, so it's about productivity over activity for me. Are you, are you doing things, you know, are you world-class busy or are you world-class productive? Um, and that comes down to choices that you make every day mm-hmm. In your daily life, in your personal routines, you you know, are you prioritizing tasks accordingly? Simple thing. Yeah. Or are you investing in the, the the task just because you think you have to do it yeah. rather than really looking at the bigger picture? So it's definitely about, because uh, there is a Parkinson's law, which is the, the more time we have to complete tasks, the more time we'll take, yeah. right? But it's that that's you got to move away from that, yeah. and you got to look at you know everything's you know uh, pace of change, expectations are just greater and greater and greater. Yeah, I, I think that thing about you know the difference between being busy and being productive is is fascinating, and and yeah, you know, I'm just as guilty of, of doing that as the next next person, uh, and I think it, in terms of getting to understand that and start to em- embrace that the the possibility of not behaving that way, behaving a better way. So you've obviously got um, an event coming up in 2020, in February. Um, you know, I'm conscious we've been talking, and we could go on this conversation for hours and hours and hours, but um, can you just share a little bit about uh, what that, uh, the event is? Thank you. It's very kind of you. Um, yeah, it's, it's very specifically aimed at um, high-performance procurement. So it's called the High Performance Procurement Program, HP3 2020. Um, we're going to do a new, new year, new decade. Um, arguably, it's going to be a decade of huge change for people in the procurement profession in general, in every profession. But I think as a procurement practitioner, um, the next decade with, with technology, machine learning, the kind of Internet of Things, all, all of the mega trends that we hear, um, which will absolutely help us um, do our jobs better or differently. 
but the human only traits um, are are becoming just as important. So the the events uh, February the twenty seventh, Thursday the February the twenty seventh in Sydney, um, at the um, the Sydney Ridges Central in, in Surrey Hills, and Christoph's going to be there as well as a as a four time Dakar Rally participant. Um, he's a great person to bring in. I don't know if we've to, ever mentioned that. Have you ever never mentioned before. that? <laughs> um, oh, no, the secret is out. We've mentioned it every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't been in that, so I'm going to mention it now. Because, yeah, that's good. But in terms of resilience and yeah. kind of, you know, what a great person to draw on. Um, so it's really around the evolution of, there's key themes, evolution of high performance, successful self-leadership habits, future-proofing your operating model, I think is important within procurement to continue to, to invest in your operating model. Your list management, you talked about football teams, you know, list management and end-to-end talent experience. So what, what does that look like within your within your business? We'll touch a bit on data visualization strategies, but but also a lot around developing creativity, agility, and and building increased advocacy and influence. So it's very what it's not is a category management masterclass or a negotiation masterclass. For that. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely. I'm coming now. You're I wasn't going to. <laughs> it's something very different and deliberately so. And I'm trying trying to to make it quite unique in terms of a development experience for the people who who will attend. And, and yeah. So sorry, I just wanted to mention something before I forget. Too many too many falls on the head on racing motorcycles, but um, <laughs> all of this demands focus and attention and today we live in a society where focus is taking away from us we're getting disrupted and we are looking for disruption mm. we want to get that dopamine fix mm. so our attention to focus is, is diminishing and we are trying to help kind of people work on themselves which is in a way is helping them refocus while at the same time they're being pulled away from that focus you know you work on your computer, you check your phone, you, you get a phone call, you get an email, you get all those instant notifica- notifications that, you know, takes your mind out of what it's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's interesting how, you know, we realize that the next, you know, phase is to help people develop. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, do you want to receive a notification about your latest, notif- uh, you know, LinkedIn message? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll switch that on. And you're getting those instant split-second description in your mind which takes you away from what you're meant to improve on. Yeah, I think it, I, one of the things you're talking about, you know, sort of improving behaviours mm. and how can you do that. And, and there's almost like the, the flip side to it is, so, okay, what is your, you know, what's your classic self-sabotage technique? You know, how do you really, mm. you know, un- undermine yourself? You know, what is it you do that you know will fail because you've, you, you, you apply that procedure to enable yourself to have a get-out clause because it's not your fault, really. It's it's this other thing. Yeah. But it's, it's an addiction. How do you stop yourself from doing it, I think, is the yeah, point yeah. that you're making, yeah, right? Exactly. Which is a great point. Yeah. Easier said than done, right? And yeah. I think that's those conditioned behaviours. So... You know, there's there's kind of hacks and and things that we'll talk about on the on the day in the program, and and we'll have a bit of fun with some of the the interactive exercises that that really get you to kind of pause and reflect. I mean, reflection's all about inner contemplation, right? So sometimes you just need that <clears throat> kind of circuit breaker, or and, and so we'll deliberately be trying to mix make it a bit fun and interactive, and and give people hacks or takeaways to really hopefully help them in their day-to-day kind of personal leadership and well-being um, because it is about your own well-being it is yes as well and if, if anybody who's listening to the, 
the procurement podcast is interested in coming along are there still spaces for people to attend and if so how do they how do they go about it thank you um yes there are um you can you can register through the website which is um executiveathlete.com there's a registration page there with um the hp3 program describing what a bit of what i've just shared and, and giving you details on the venue um, and by the way We've deliberately made it as um, we're very mindful that two days out of an office is a big time, a big commitment for, for individuals and organisations. So we've deliberately made this first one one day, but it's fully catered morning, lunchtime, afternoon catering, really designed for you to focus in the day and get the most out of it. And so you can register via the website or you can reach out to me directly. There's contact details on the website or, or through LinkedIn. And are we talking about a $10,000 event for the day or what? No, it's not. It's a, I mean, I guess cost is uh, what you pay and value is what you get, I guess, or price is what you pay. But for me, I believe it's, it's you know, it's priced very competitively and um, um, you can you can certainly get those details online. Um, but I've deliberately looked at that and compared it with other courses that either I've been on or other courses, not not the same, because I don't think there is a similar course on the market but or a program, but I understand what an investment it will be for either an individual who will not be funded by their organization, they'll be self-funding, versus if you're lucky enough to get people to be invested in by their organization. So I think it's very competitively priced. And I think it's always useful to uh, to stretch your mind and not live in, inside a eco chamber where you just hear you know yeah. what you want to hear here, but stretch your mind into new ways of thinking, new new tips, new approaches, and, and, and try to move out of this addiction that is chewing all of our time. And then suddenly we realize, well, this is already 2020. It was, just, mm. it was last New Year, that's a week ago. Mm. And because we are so busy in our mind that the time slips away. And you see that when you go on holiday, you don't take your phone and suddenly the day lasts forever yeah, yeah. because you're not being disrupted. And I think that the point about the echo chamber that we all live in, I mean, you know, just having voted on the losing side in the UK general election, <laughs> uh, I couldn't find a single person who, who would possibly vote for the, for the, for the victors because none of my friends would be that stupid. <laughs> and, but then it, but that's, you know, and, and then it's only when you step out the uh, go, well, how I mean, admittedly I did predict it, but how did it? How did it happen? What and what is it that I hadn't understood? And you know, I think there's some logical conclusions, and this isn't the forum for that. But I think it's applicable to what we do in terms of our business, uh, professional lives. You know, if we work one way, always work the same way, and you surround yourself with people who always work the same way, you know, it's it's going to be. You know, we just. You know, not, that that, that yeah. natural consensus it ends up sort of strangling itself and you don't get anything That's new right, coming yeah. through. Can create limitations, I agree. And so I agree with your point, Christoph. You know, I'm a big fan of kind of trying to expand your thinking always, um, continue to create new habits. And you can always reframe your situation, right? Always um, um, to take on a specific challenge or, or, or to take effective action. And I think... You know, it's a good time of year, you know, uh, new year, new decade, invest in yourself, you know. I mean, ultimately, if you want to get better at your chosen profession, That's then correct, yeah. you're going to try and get every tool in the toolkit that you can. 
Well, I think I think you know certainly expanded uh, minds today. Hopefully, with the the content of this podcast, it's been fascinating chatting, Rob. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Really looking forward to to your event. Uh, so, for those who um, are interested, uh, go along to uh, theexecutiveathlete.com, and it's HP three that you're looking yes. for the event. Um, you can reach out to Rob uh, or Christoph or myself yes. if you if you want any further information. Um, we're all on LinkedIn in various different guises. Uh, and thank you very much again, Rob. It's been, thank you. been fascinating. This has been really great. And actually, just, just on that, I think this is a great this is a great forum that you've created, the two of you, to really promote um, you know, hot topics within within the procurement um, arena. And I think hats off to you because um, what a great medium uh, uh, to share this. Thank you. And it was well it was surprising when we took the domain. I typed procurement podcast. Surely someone will have taken that, and it was free. Well done. So if you don't try, you don't know. Correct. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for Thank being onto the procurement podcast. And we'll see you on the February the twenty seventh. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Procurement Podcast with Andy and Christoph. For more information, please visit our website, procurementpodcast.com, and feel free to email us your questions at info at procurementpodcast.com.